Please take your Bibles to, uh, turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. Today's passage is Philippians chapter 3, uh, verses 12 through 16, and I'm going to read from verse 7. This is God's word. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead." Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your precious word. I pray that you would use me uh, to preach its truths this morning. I am not authorized to do anything up here this morning but to preach your word and your truth alone. I pray, Lord, that you would awaken us this morning, shake us loose from from the drull of every day, and I pray that we would uh, be energized to work for you because you have worked in us. I pray, Lord, that you would help us understand your word in the spirit, help us to apply its truth to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Do you strive to be raised from the dead? Have you ever even been asked that before? Paul says, by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So I think it's the right question. Are you striving to attain the resurrection from the dead? It's interesting to me that we we never really say that. We never really talk like that. When someone asks you, what is your purpose? What is your goal in the Christian life? What do you usually say? I just want to make it to heaven. I just trying to be faithful. I just want to share the gospel. I just want to worship God alone. I just want to be a disciple of Christ. And these are all good things. But what about the resurrection? The resurrection is important to Paul. It means something to him. He, he has it in mind all the time. And so maybe in light of Paul's words to the Philippians, we should seriously consider adding this to our vocabulary, or more, important, more importantly, actually pursue and desire the resurrection. 
This morning, I'm fo- focusing on Philippians 3, 12 through 16. We're going to answer the question that verse 12 raises of what Paul is referring to in that verse. What did he not obtain? And for what is he pressing on to obtain? And I argue that it's the resurrection. And we will look at the ground on which Paul wants to pursue the resurrection, the ground being Christ's pursuit of Paul himself. And then we will look at the method of uh, Paul's, of, in which Paul pursues the re- resurrection, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward toward the prize, which is again the resurrection. Before that, in, in verses 7 through 11, three time Paul contrasts what he considers to be loss and gain. Verse 7 But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. For the sake of Christ, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. The things of of his past, he counts them as loss, but he gains Christ. Three times, loss, Christ, loss, Christ, loss, Christ. And so what does it mean to to gain Christ? He he elaborates in verse 9 through 10. He wants to be found in him, having the righteousness from God that depends on faith. He wants to know him and the power of his resurrections. He He even wants to share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, because that means he would also attain the resurrection from the dead. So with that flow of thought, you see that the resurrection is the, is the climax. It's, it's, the, it's the end result of knowing Christ. As John Piper puts it, the resurrection is the final and total gaining of Christ. When Paul says in verse 12, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, first we have to ask, what is the direct object of, of verse 12? What did He not already obtain. And there's really no doubt that he's referring to the resurrection. If you have a a King James or a New King James version, uh, it says, it just says, not that I have already attained, without the pronoun this, uh, which is more how it is in the Greek. My ESV adds the, the pronoun this, which in English does sound better. We don't like to say, you know, uh, not that I have already attained, attained what, right? But in the Greek, it's just implied. The Greek writers don't always feel a need to put a pronoun if the direct object was, was just mentioned. And what was just mentioned in this case at the end of, of verse 11 was the resurrection from the dead. And that makes sense since he also says he is not already perfect. He's not already completed. He has not already reached a completed state which again is the resurrection. And so what is uh, the resurrection? Paul is referring to the bodily resurrection, which occurs at the consummation when Christ returns. Like Jesus, who, after dying for our sin on the cross, was placed in a tomb, but he was not in the tomb on the third day, he was resurrected. And he wasn't just alive again. He had a new 
glorified, resurrected body. Later in verse uh, 321 of Philippians, it says, He will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body. Just as we share His sufferings, we share, and we do share in His sufferings, don't we? Just as we share in His sufferings, we share in the resurrection. And so what is, it, what is his body like? Paul explains further elsewhere. Turn to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 42, 15-42. It says, So it is with the resurrection of the dead, what is sown perishable, what is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable, what is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory, it is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, and it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Verse, down in verse 53, For this perishable body must, be, must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. The resurrected body will be imperishable, glorified, powerful, spiritual, immortal. And this is great news, isn't it? We all deal with it. I hear about your perishing bodies. I feel it too. Whatever is broken in you will be restored. It will be remade. Whatever is, is missing or not functional in you will be remade. We are sown in dishonor, but will be glorified. I know you might think you're pretty good-looking right now, but trust me, it'll get better. Our bodies are weak, will be made powerful. You know, nobody, nobody's really a beast, right? At the end of the day, we all curl up in our bed and have to sleep. One day, there will be no need for sleep, just endless worship. Our bodies are now natural, they will be spiritual. And that doesn't mean immaterial, but spiritual, not natural, supernatural. Kind of like, like uh, mana was, a spirit, was called a spiritual bread. It was a bread they could eat, but it was a spiritual bread. Our bodies will be spiritual. Our bodies are mortal. We are experiencing life for just a moment in eternity Whether your life was cut short by tragedy or you live a hundred years, your life is just a moment compared to what we will be. We will be immortal. God wouldn't resurrect us just to throw us away. He created us for eternity, and he will resurrect us into eternity. But more important than the actual body is, is what it means. If you have obtained the resurrection, it means you know Christ. The resurrection is, is the end result. It's a glorious result, but it's, it's the end result. It comes from knowing Christ and gaining Christ. It means you have been saved. The word pierced your heart. You have faith from God and you are found in him. And yes, it also means you join in his sufferings, but you also join in his resurrection. The resurrection means you persevered to the end by the power of Christ. 
But Paul doesn't want uh, anyone to think that he has arrived just yet, that he is somehow already perfect. Maybe this is even an indication that people in the church thought you could reach some kind of height, some kind of level of perfection, or that you were somehow already perfected, completed. Then again, if, if the resurrection and gaining Christ and being found in him is, is based on faith, as Paul explains in verse 9 through 10, then why does he say we need to pursue the resurrection? Is there, is there not a sense in which we already have it? Don't we just wait for it? Can't we just stand idly by and kind of wait for that final train home? But faith, you see, it endures till the end. It works till the end. Faith without works is dead. Faith is accompanied by work. Paul says to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Yes, it is God who works in you, and that manifests by you working. Hence, you must press on. You must strive for it. You don't don't earn it, but you strive for it. Paul says, pressing on to obtain the resurrection is based on the fact that Christ obtained him. Christ grabbed a hold of Paul. Paul was a Pharisee. He was was zealous for his religion. He persecuted Christians. He killed Christians. And Christ grabbed him. On that Damascus road, Christ grabbed a hold of him and changed him, transformed him. And Paul was never the same again. And the good news, church, is that Christ grabbed a hold of you. You now believe by the grace of God. He is changing you. He transformed you. You are not the same, and you will never go back to how you were before. You may stumble, sure, but you were once ignorant of God. You once hated God. By your actions, you hated God, but Christ intervened and grabbed a hold of you. You know, you might not think that your testimony to be coming to faith is, is very interesting. I grew up in uh, four square churches, and, and the, test, the people that I brought up to, to share their testimony, it was good, but it was always, right? It was always somebody that was really on the deep end, and then in an instant came to Christ. And, and it kind of trained me to think, wow, if I, unless I did drugs and was working on the street or something, uh, you know, my testimony is not even worth sharing. You might think, you know, I just grew up in the church and then eventually I kind of got it and I believed. You might think that your testimony is not very interesting, but what is not interesting about one day Christ did not have you in his hands and the next day he did. The angels rejoice not because Wow, you were really bad, but wow, you really turned it around. The angels rejoiced because Jesus found a lost sheep. And so because of that, you want to press on to gain Christ that had you and obtain the resurrection, which again is the final and total gaining of Christ. And so how do we press on? Verse 13, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, But one thing I do, 
forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. What did this mean for Paul? Paul, as you know, was a Jew of Jews. Earlier in verse 5 through 6, it explains he was circumcised on the eighth day. He was of the people of Israel. He belonged to God's people. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. He was from a faithful tribe. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. He was the best of the best. As to zeal, he was a persecutor of the church. He killed Christians. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. Galatians 1, 13 to 14 Paul says, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father. From the perspective of the Jews, he was accomplished. But what does Paul consider these things now? He counts them as as rubbish. As excrement, he's, he's repulsed by his dependence, his former dependence on his achievements. On top of that, Paul did many good things as a, as a Christian. The way he was accomplished as a Jew, he was accomplished as a Christian. He was, he was an apostle. He was a teacher, a preacher. He was a leader. He planted many churches. He was, at this point, he's been doing ministry for about 30 years. He planted the church he was writing to. But to dwell on that and to rest on that would be a mistake. He has to forget that for the sake of pressing on. He has not yet obtained the resurrection. It's important to keep pressing on. When I used to live on Oahu, I used to enjoy hiking. I would do these long Uh, Three to five hour hikes up the Ko'olau ridges. That feels like ages ago because I would never do that now. You couldn't pay me to do that now. I don't think it would cover the medical bills. But these hikes were beautiful. I used to love doing them with my friends. There are many scenic points. You'd work hard, climb up the rocks, climb through the branches, uh, and get to these these scenic points. And the temptation would be to, to rest and take in the sights at every one of these spots. And if I was lucky, I'd have some spamusa be with me. We would sit on the rock. You know, you get to see Oahu from this eagle-eye perspective that nobody else got to see unless you were on that trek. And of course, you got to take plenty of pictures, put it on Instagram. And you can take in the sights, but at some point, you need to, to get moving. There are only so many hours of sunlight In the day, you still have to reach the end. When I look at this group, I see people who have been doing ministry for for many years. You have been sharing the gospel with people. You have been teaching each other the word. You have been teaching your children the word. You have been defending the faith for years. As long as you've been a Christian, you've been trying to serve God And the temptation to say at some point is, I'm good. I think I can cruise now. I think I deserve a break. 
you know, maybe I'll move somewhere where no one's going to ask me, to, nobody knows me, nobody's asked me to do anything anymore. I think I've done enough for the kingdom. And that would be the biggest mistake of your life, along with missing Andrew's Tuesday night class. Faith endures and works till the end. And you would only stop, uh, think of stopping because you're looking back, looking back of all you've done. But stopping isn't just stopping, is it? If you, if you hang your hat, put your Bible down for good, that's an invitation to sin. No, you need to keep running. That is why you need to forget what lies behind. And the past holds our failures as well. You have had many failures. Maybe you've had a moral failure. Maybe life just hasn't been going the way you expected. Maybe you feel like you don't even know how to do ministry in the church. You're, you feel useless. And the temptation would be to look at that and just give up. To look at the past, be discouraged, and give up. And that too would be a huge mistake. Faith endures and works till the end. Yes, you sin, but Christ died for your sins. Your failure is never terminal as a Christian. So turn to Christ and press on. Life may not be going the way you expected, but it's the promises of God that you can depend on, not the expectations of your job or your marriage or the lack of marriage or your kids and the way they are, those things tend to disappoint, but God doesn't. And you might feel useless in the church, but, but trust me, someone out there wants to equip you, just make yourself available. Someone will put you to work. Better you put yourself to work than me tell you what to do. But whatever you do, you need to forget what lies behind and, and press on. And I'm not saying you're not doing enough. I'm not coming up here to beat you up and say you're not doing enough. You should have done more. You should have done better. Paul is not beating himself up. He just knows that he has not yet obtained the prize, the resurrection. And so he wants nothing to hinder him. So it's not do better or or do more, but just keep doing. So when he says forgetting what lies behind, he means Forget it if it hinders you, which it certainly can. He's using this race metaphor. And in a race, you, you got to look forward. You, it doesn't work to look back all the time. You lose your concentration. You need to look forward and press on. But isn't there a, a value in, in remembering the past? Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So 
So Paul is trying to appreciate the distance that they were from God and how God closed the gap. If you sin much, you can see that you were forgiven much, right? So there's that. There's the good in remembering. But then, then there's Luke chapter 9. The end of chapter 9, verse 61. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So there it says not to look back, much like Lot's wife. Remember that story from Genesis 19, Lot's wife who looked back on the destruction of Sodom and turned into a a pillar of salt. Remember that? The angel said, escape for your life. Do not look back and stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. But Lot's wife looked back, and she paid the consequence. So why can't we look back? Are we supposed to remember the past or not? I think the difference is, is one looking back, helps us appreciate the grace of God, and the other kind of looking back hinders us, making us fall back into sin. Back in January, Daniel told us about Arnold Fruchtenbaum and how he had left his family in New York because he was a Christian. Arnold knew from his own experience you can't have divided affections. Arnold had to face the choice, smother his pursuit of Christ, and remain in the comfort of his, his family and the status of his, his Jewishness, or pursue Christ and forsake his family. And he chose Christ. He might remember his family and where he came from, but he doesn't contemplate going back. He turned and focused on the prize. And he's still working for the resurrection. So, forget what lies behind and strain forward to what lies ahead. So, what lies ahead, verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So, what is the prize? It's the upward call of God. And what kind of call is this? It's it's an upward call, a heavenly call. It's a call of God. It's a calling of God to heaven, his kingdom and glory, glory of Christ, eternal glory of Christ. The prize is the consummation, the resurrection. Romans 8.23 says, we groan for the redemption of our bodies. We long for it. That's what we were created for. And so we strive for it. We we set our, our sights on it. It's right there in front of us. And Paul says in verse 15, let those of us who are mature think this way. So what way are we supposed to think? That, that phrase, think this way, uh, is the same, same, as, uh, same word he uses in Philippians 2.5 where he says to have this mind. So it's, it's having this mindset. Philippians 2.5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, be born in the likeness of men, 
and be found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Paul wants you to have this mind. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. We join in his sufferings with the end result of of resurrection. That's what it means to be mature in the faith, willing to, to press on through suffering, knowing the end result. A child, a young child, doesn't know the end result, but you who are mature in the faith knows that the resurrection is coming. And so I urge you to forget what lies behind, press on with your eye on the prize. So we have an opportunity today, as we fellowship this afternoon and we talk to one another, we talk to our neighbors, and when they ask you, how are you doing? We can ask, answer the, the typical way. We can say, better than I deserve, as Carl would say. Or, I'm just trying to be faithful. But why not say, I'm striving for the resurrection? That is the ultimate goal of the Christian life. Gaining Christ is our desire, and, and re- the resurrection is the final and total gaining of Christ. He has grabbed a hold of you, and so you want to grab a hold of the resurrection. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word, for reminding us that we want to gain you, which also means we want to gain the resurrection. Because if we have the resurrection, that means we have been found in you, that has a right, we have a righteousness that comes from God, and that we will meet you in the air with our resurrected bodies and be able to worship you for all future ages. I pray, Lord, that we would forget what lies behind us, that we will not dwell on the past, be discouraged by the past, be tempted by the past, but press on, continue to work. We can only do that if you empower us in the Spirit. Help us to repent of our sin and press on. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.